Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast Sunday edition with my pal Julian McKenzie. It's Justin Cuthbert, I'm on all these shows. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're coming off a very exciting Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada. Like, it's not always that we get, you know, great matchups, great stories, great games. But in this time of year where things are a little bit dull around the NHL, I mean, it's supposed to be fun. We're supposed to be getting a lot of trades and trade rumors. But things are a little quiet right now, so we got to rely on the games and Saturday night, this Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada was spectacular. Leafs, Canucks, Habs, Oilers, of course, you were watching that one in Flames and Avalanche. I know we both particularly liked. Let's get to that in a second. But Julian, how was the weekend? What's going on? Weekend was really good. Uh, tried to keep an eye out for all three of those games. And uh, the Love is Blind finale, which Ooh. a lot of people were very into. Uh we don't need to go in on that if we don't want to. We can to. go in a bit. I don't know anything about it. Tell me a little bit about it. You know, you don't know anything about Love is Blind? Really? I don't know think about it. So is Love it is Netflix? Blind. So it's a Netflix show that started pretty much around the time the pandemic, like not too long after the pandemic started, where you have these people in these pods uh, who try to connect with someone on the other side of these pods, but they can't see them and they can only just like talk to them. So they can, they try to get to know the person through conversation it's supposed to have people nurture connections on a deeper level and then if they feel that they've made enough of a connection with somebody they ask for their hand in marriage and they get engaged and then they leave the pods and then they meet each other for the first time then go on the honeymoon and then plot, plot out their wedding and when they get to the wedding that's when they can decide uh, if they are meant for each other or not. And it leads to some uh, very interesting results. It's a, it's a very interesting show. I mean, that sounds like a night, like a disaster waiting to happen. Yes. You've never seen the person you're about to marry is problematic. I mean, it's not all about that, but it certainly factors into the equation. Uh, but I feel like it's almost better than what, you know, the standard in this type of show is the bachelor. Like I saw a clip of the bachelor. This guy was just with all the women. Like, and when I say with, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about? He was just with the yeah, yeah. Like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> There's a code, That's, man. You can't I don't do know, that. man. You got no this, chance. This, no, Wrap it but, up. But, Why? You stop filming. Once you do that, stop filming. It's not going to work. But the concept of the bachelor, man, like. What is he thinking? No, it's not even there's the dude, right? Like I always lose it always boggles my mind whenever people get on that show and they get upset at the bachelor or the bachelorette being with all these different people and get it jealous. You knew what it was when you signed up, when you were going up against no. all these 12 other people. But there's <laughs> like, different levels of getting with Julian. There's different <laughs> levels. I, I mean, yes. There's that like that, what you can do at a rose ceremony or whatever they call it, but there's the you know <laughs> behind the scenes stuff. If you go, if you're with everyone behind the scenes, like it's not gonna work. But not everyone. I mean, he had the golden ticket, golden opportunity, meet the love of his life. Someone's handpicked by a bunch of producers, and he got I, greedy. I don't know. I don't know, man. Greedy, man. Look, it's look, it's love is a very tricky thing. Love could be blind, maybe it isn't, but. uh yeah, there's, there's a reason why I, I, I make a life in hockey and not on those shows like Love like Love is Blind or Love Island or 
the bachelorette or bachelor or or too hot to handle or there's a lot of shows i'm naming maybe i should mm-hmm. give myself a break with that i mean it's that's the one-way ticket to fame nowadays get on to get onto one of those shows build yourself a nice little instagram following sell you know some sort of mixture that you can put into water that makes you healthier by drinking it every morning like that is that is the goal <laughs> that is that is how you make money nowadays uh in this world the nhl should and- hop on that man get like one of those like bachelor or bachelorette contestants make them an influencer for for some team or some get get them exactly sell the game <laughs> i mean we haven't we haven't even unfortunately we haven't even like gotten past the the five percent of the possibilities here out here for uh social media influencers um it's probably enough social media influencer talk uh let's talk about something we don't have blind love for which was the abs and flames last night i know you didn't see all of it i didn't see all of it as well you know i had it on i also had the fights on sort of watching everything but flames and avalanche both the top teams in their respective divisions right now potentially on a collision course to meet each other in the Western Conference Final if the world we live in is just, which it might not be. Uh, but these two teams have a little history. Remember when the Flames had that 108-point, not not President's Trophy, but they won the Western Conference, and they were yeah. bouncing five games by Colorado. So a little bit of a historical thing. But more importantly, maybe the two best teams, I don't want to say best teams or most talented teams, but the teams that are operating at the highest level right now in the Western Conference are Calgary and Colorado, and they showcase that on Saturday night. Yeah, uh, just from what I was able to make out from that game, two teams built for the playoffs, two teams just dynamic in their offenses. Calgary may be a little bit better defensively, but one of, actually one of the best plays of that game uh, was when Kale McCarr single-handedly jump-started an offense by stopping an offensive chance from Johnny Gaudreau, literally by just sprawling out and blocking a shooting lane before taking advantage and setting the puck up ice. I know we live in a world where, through advanced stats, we value primary assists more than secondary assists, but that's what you would call, and I don't even, because I know, I think like Nazem Kadri got the puck on that too, like, that was one of the better plays I've seen from Kale McCarr all season. And I know he has the goal of the year candidate, but that's also, mm-hmm. that also should be a play in his highlight reel. There were so many plays like that throughout that game. Elias Lindholm. I was very upset with myself because on one of my fantasy teams, I benched him and I shouldn't have benched him because he did really well. It was a big mistake, mm-hmm. but man, the flames, that top line with him, Kachuk and Gaudreau, just firing on all cylinders. You have the perfect storm of those two teams. And then in overtime, uh, I thought the Avs would have, would have found a way to win that game, but the Flames find a way to do it in the end. Those are two really fun teams to watch. I, I, I mean, we all thought with with Daryl Sutter hockey, the the Flames would be kind of dry, but they've ended up looking really good. And I know there are some people who think they're pretenders. I don't know if the Flames are going to win the Cup this year, but I don't know. I I I believe in them to a certain extent. I could see them winning a round or two. There is a misconception about Daryl Sutter hockey, right? Like that it is boring, that it is like defensively responsible trap, 1996 New Jersey Devils. It's not that way. You can be very, very exciting while playing defensively responsible hockey. It's just that you're not doing wide sweeping circles uh, and playing lackluster defensively. You're playing hard in straight lines. And when you play hard in straight lines, the game seems to reach a level of tempo in which others can't match. And I thought that was the one take home message for me from that game it looked like it was played at a different speed and it was probably the perfect two elements in that the flames do play that up and down style but colorado is the fastest team in the league and if they're going to get into a track meet and they want to you know encourage that sort of game where it is going back and forth well colorado's game for that so that was like you know leafs and leafs and canucks was great that's the game i watched in the seven o'clock hour um but it looked like a different level flames avalanche in terms of speed and skill and structure. Like it was a fast game played within, you know, that structure that a coach like Daryl Sutter is working for looking for. So, uh, you know, we could do way worse in terms of Western conference finals. Again, it's not no guarantee. We get there. Vegas could be something really, really special if they get to the playoffs and get all their players back. And of course, Colorado's folded in big moments uh, in the postseason. So, uh, you know, no, no guarantee we get there, but I think it's pretty clear what the two best teams are in the divisions out West. Let's get to Leafs and Cucks for a second here. Mm-hmm. And I think 
that this is the perfect matchup in that, you know, Flames and Avs maybe, you know, maybe really is. But Leafs and Canucks from like a hijink standpoint is perfect because the Leafs are better. The Leafs have way better forwards, but the Canucks have the sort of elements which which gives the Leafs trouble. Like they've got big, well, they don't have too many big tough forwards, but they got a guy like JT Miller who can just body Timothy Liljegren and score a goal. But the most important thing for this total equation is Thatcher Demko, who can be yeah. one goal better than a Maple Leaf setminder on any night he wishes to do so. Like he was sensational in that game. The Leafs were very, very good, at least offensively. And Thatcher Demko for the second time in I think two weeks, maybe three weeks, shut down the Maple Leafs. And I mean, he got beat four times. It's sort of where the Maple Leafs are at. Like they can score five, six, seven goals when they really, uh, when they really go after it. But Thatcher Demko was way better than Jack Campbell. And that shouldn't be a surprise. But the Vancouver's the perfect team to sort of like fill in the gaps against the Maple Leafs because they can score those tough goals and they can defend just enough or they can goaltend just enough to beat a Maple Leafs team. And it just leads to really, really entertaining hockey because Bruce Boudreaux is opening it up. They're playing trading chances. They're putting up 35, 40 shots each. And then you got one star goaltender going against one's the best goal scorer in the league in Austin Matthews. And it just leads to a very, very entertaining game. Not the game we're going to see in the Eastern Conference Final. Of course, they can't meet in the Eastern Conference Final. They can't. They could meet in the Stanley Cup Final. That's not going to happen. That's but not going to happen. These two teams, when they go at it, it is hockey at its finest. I think. Yeah, I was very surprised that the amount of goals scored between both of those teams on Saturday night. But you bring up a really interesting point with how the Leafs team is built with their offense and how the Canucks seemingly just had everything else, but they were able to bring their offense up too. the one, the two takeaways for me with the Leafs, is just, I mean, Jack Campbell does not look like himself, uh, but at the same time, a lot of those goals he allowed the defense was not the mm. defense, a lot of deflections getting in front of them and they need to find a way to shut that down ahead of the postseason. I have concerns with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think earlier in the year uh, when everyone was saying they were looking a little bit more like contenders, I know CJ said that on our show, um, but now I, I I have questions about this mm-hmm. team. I don't know if they're going to be good. They're, I don't think they're good enough to beat a Tampa. I don't think they're good enough to beat a Florida. I don't know how they're going to look up against the Boston. You know, like I, I, I think this team, uh, if they don't address their defense, if they don't figure out something to do with goaltending, whether it's just, taking Jack Campbell aside and, and having him sit with somebody and just kind of, you know, talk through some things. He's, he's a guy who, as long as he's been a leaf, as far as I've seen, he looks like he takes losses and certain struggles very personally and takes them really hard. I think he needs to find a way to just kind of, you know, take a step back and just kind of find a way to love the game again and just compose himself a little bit because he can be a good goaltender. We've seen it, but he has not looked himself. He kind of has the yips right now and Peter Morazic is not the best uh backup option for him right now the Leafs need to figure that they figure that out on defense and with goaltending that for me like and I, and I get it like it's the regular season they're probably not going to beat the Canucks in the po- in the postseason these games don't necessarily matter as much there's they're going to be a playoff team but there's some elements in that game on Saturday that if I were a Leafs fan I guess I'm already concerned about the Leafs, but also at the same time, there are some things that would give me pause about this team being legit in the playoffs. Yeah, there's a real chicken of the chicken or the egg thing happening uh, among the Leafs fan base, certainly playing out in my mentions. Uh, I tweeted last night about the de- state of the defense core, and I'm shocked at how many people want to do to Jack Campbell after all this goodwill he built up over the last yeah. two years. They want to do to Jack Campbell what they did to Freddie Anderson, which was to vilify him and be blind to everything else that is a problem with the Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs forwards, best they've ever put out on the ice. Maybe Certainly in Kyle Dubas era, maybe in my lifetime. Unbelievable how strong this group is. Yeah, John Tavares has not been playing particularly well. William Nylander struggling a bit. Jason Spezza is not doing what he did at the start of the year. But on paper and with Austin Matthews leading the charge, best we've ever seen. The defense core, though, is horrific. I counted two, maybe three defensemen that could play on a legitimate postseason roster in that game for the Maple Leafs. They had Timothy Liljegren playing top-pairing minutes. He's a seventh defenseman at best. Justin Hall, 
struggling with anyone who isn't TJ, uh, TJ Brody so far. And he's playing with him right now. And it's kind of falling apart a little bit. Like he had a couple good games, but it doesn't look that great. He needs someone to play with. Is he a legitimate defenseman if he needs someone to play with in order to be effective? Probably not. He's, he's yeah. a six at best. Travis Dermott has had ample opportunity to prove himself as a fifth or sixth defenseman. Hasn't been able to do it. Ilya Labushin has played pretty well. I'll give him that maybe three. But right now, they don't have the horses back there. And it wasn't, it has been an issue all year, but it wasn't something that was so glaring and so problematic at the start of the year because Jack Campbell was at a 940 save percentage. And now that he's not, and he can't stop the deflected pucks because they're not hard enough on forwards in the defensive zone, you're seeing those problems. They've had this issue the entire season. They need to address their defensive core, and then they can only hope that their goaltending returns to what it was or close to what it was. But to just suggest this is all on Jack Campbell and Peter Mrazek is crazy. You Like, Thatcher Demko, yeah, he'll give you better minutes, but you cannot expect with the defense core that they have you need Thatcher Demko or better in order to compete. And they had Thatcher Demko or better at the start of the year, at the year with how well Jack Campbell was playing. He's not playing that well anymore. And those defensive issues are now being laid bare. They need to get one, like an impact guy or two, like pretty sizable impact guys. If they're going to hang with a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I have people telling me, oh, if you look at Tampa's defense, like they've got some average guys. No, they don't. No, no, they don't. <laughs> What? <laughs> They've got four studs me? and Jan what? Ruta plays on the top line. And he's like, he's the Ron Hainsey. He is the, the, you know, if you had Justin Hall at his best, just complimenting another guy, that's what Jan Ruta, he's an elite complimentary guy. He's a middle of the pack guy, but he makes Victor Hedman or helps make Victor Hedman be Victor Hedman. They are deep. Any team that is legitimate that we believe can win a Stanley cup is deep in their defensive core. They have five, six, seven, eight guys that you can bank on. And the Leafs have two, three, maybe four. And with Jake Muzzin, like losing it, Jake losing, Jake Muzzin finding or losing himself, like that was a guy you were counting on. If he's not there, then you have even less. I, I uh, it's pretty clear what the Leafs got to do. They got two weeks to do it. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Damon Severson or whether it's Ben Sherratt, go out and, help out your defensive core and i know people are gonna hear the name ben ben looking good lately i look come on like and and again i'm gonna i'm gonna say this if the toronto maple leafs are a team that is trying to be taken seriously and and make runs at the postseason that first round pick is not going to matter as much you know what i'm saying like don't worry ben, about throwing ben that first round pick. does well exactly what the leafs don't do well right now. he's exactly what the like leafs it's, need it's, it could not be more clear Come on. A guy and, who can look clear at, out and he can skate too and he can do everything. When he's on, he's a really good defenseman. Is he playing like it's game seven of the Stanley Cup final every night for Dominique Ducharme in December? No. He packed no. it in a little bit. The whole team packed it in. But now that he's a little has a little insp- inspiration with Marty San Louis, he's looking like that same guy again. And it's not to glorify Ben Trapp because he does do a lot of mistakes. There are moments where he can't make that right clear of a forward in front of the net. And there was a goal I think they allowed against the Oilers where I forget who got, I think it was Vander Kane who got that goal in in front of him. He failed to pick up his man. That is going to happen. He is going to take bad penalties. But for what the Toronto Maple Leafs need, Ben Sherrod is the guy, Ben Sherrod kind of fits that bill. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I, I, I understand that some people are, are looking at the mistakes that he does. I don't think it's nearly as bad of a mistake if they get him. Like it's the it's the price tag. If Ben Sherratt was available out there and it was just like, man, the Canadians just want like a, a second round pick for this guy, everyone be like, oh, please take our second round pick easily. It's it's the first and the prospect thing. No one wants to 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 drop to to get to that point in the market where they're shelling out all of that for Ben Sherratt. And I would still be stunned at this point if the Canadians were able to flip him for that, but the Leafs need guys like a Ben Sherrod or, or I haven't watched even Severson as closely. So if he also kind of matches the bill, yeah. maybe, but they need a guy who can clear the puck out. Those goals they allowed against the Canucks, they're going to deal with that a lot in the postseason. You need guys who can, who can clear forwards from in front of the net. And if they're not able to do that in a regular season against the Canucks, how am I supposed to believe the Leafs when they go up against tougher teams? All the goals going in on the Leafs right now are 
guys that are hanging around in the t- high slot, either not getting boxed out or tipping pucks because they're they're getting they're not getting checked. Like that's that's how that's the recipe to score goals in the Maple Leafs right now. And you need guys that are going to clear bodies out from in front of the net in the playoffs. Like that's one of the most important things to do in the playoffs is to play tough in that high danger area. And the Leafs have never done that well. Have never ever done that well. The problem really with Sherratt is the price and the rental aspect of it. I think if yeah. they're going to make a huge splash, they've got to have some term. And that's why Jacob Chikrin, I think, makes a lot of sense, even though he's not playing the right side. Like, it's it's not going to be perfect. It seems he's not good believe. defensively. Like, there just isn't the perfect guy out there. He's not good defensively, you said? Or, yeah, or, or some people have, have made yeah, me I mean, believe that he's that. Again, it's the environment. Like, it's I get, it, it would be a huge, you know, it would be a big leap of faith. But, like, yeah. I, I truly believe the environment affects defensemen to a really significant degree. Uh, and sometimes that doesn't work. Like Rasmus Ristolainen, it doesn't matter. But there are a lot of defensemen where the environment really makes a difference. Uh, and I think we've just seen that with Ben Sherratt this year, just in this year alone, with things being so disorganized and people not wanting to play for Dominique Ducharme. All of a sudden, yeah. we got a coach in there, and like everyone's firing on all cylinders. Uh, let's have you talk about the Habs and Oilers for a second because we're going to go through all the games that were on that legendary, maybe not legendary, good Saturday night. It was a good Saturday. And I and I think Mike Smith is the most uh interesting aspect of it. Obviously the the, <laughs> the Canadians You're being nice. like, the Canadians are playing great. I'll I'll allow you to gush on them if you'd like. But like when you're looking at what really matters from that game. The Oilers trying to get back into this playoff race. Miko Koskinen playing reasonably well lately. But they still go back to Mike Smith, and Mike Smith, for the 50th time in 60 tries, his last 60 tries, or ballpark around that, lets them down. Like, he's just not good enough. He's 40 years old. He's got one more deal, one more year after this. Like, he's just not good enough to give the Oilers what they need. Nope. He's, 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 I'm sorry, man, but like, Mike Smith is not a goalie you rely on to go through a playoff run. And if the Edmonton Oilers think that's going to help them pass the trade deadline, they don't make a move to help their goaltending, well, we we might as well just write off the Edmonton Oilers. I'm sorry. We might as well just do that because Mike Smith is not that guy. I mean, look, if this guy was a little younger, maybe you could think, hey, he could play a little bit more in his twilight. But this is a guy who might, and I'm sorry to be harsh here, he'd be a really good beer league goalie right now. If we were playing like (laughs) wreck somewhere and we see him there it's like man this guy's really good but he is not a great goaltender for the Edmonton Oilers right now and they're stuck with that guy in that and I understand the Canadians they've played uh, context with the Canadians like they've been playing really well under Martin St. Louis I think Martin St. Louis has almost as many wins in fewer games than Dominic Ducharme did through the first half of this season as head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, they're playing really well. They went up against a much improved team compared to the one that they saw in early January uh, that got spanked with seven goals. But the Edmonton Oilers are a team that, again, they're trying to be a serious team for the playoffs. They have two of the best players in the world, and they're not able to get the job done against a team that is going to be well out of playoff contention. And the biggest hole for me is, is that goaltending. And, I don't know what they do with Mike Smith. I don't know if they're able to make it work with Marc-Andre Fleury. I I know that was trumpeted out for a good chunk of time and that has since cooled off, but the Edmonton Oilers need help with goaltending and Ken Holland needs to find a way to make that work. Or if it's not going to happen by the deadline, we have to write them off. I'm sorry. They're not going to be taken seriously. You mentioned him, Marc-Andre Fleury. That's the last goalie I want to talk about here. We're sort of weaving together two topics, which is not great for when I cut down clips for social use, but Sorry, it's better for bad. the natural <laughs> discussion. No, it's, that's me. I've, uh, I definitely led that. Um, this is a podcast after all, Julian. Um, yes. Marc-Andre Fleury. So we got a report from Steve Simmons, or two reports, one that said he wouldn't go, one that said he would go. Steve after a, Simmons. After a source clarified, uh, um, you know, what Marc-Andre Fleury's intentions may be. Now, I want to see Fleury in a postseason situation this year. I would love to see him get traded, honestly, 
it doesn't really matter. I just want to see it. I, he's one of my favorite players in the league. He makes the postseason more fun. I don't want him to just sort of waste away in Chicago and never get the opportunity to play in big games again. If he went back to Vegas, that'd be awesome. If he went to Edmonton, that would be very fun as well. If he went to Pittsburgh and even backed up and got in, that would be cool. Like, there is really no wrong answer here. Um, but unfortunately, Flurry, I think, sees the wrong answers. And I think he's going to be very particular. And mm-hmm. I think for that reason, because he's make, making $7 million and is particular, you know, it's going to be difficult for us to find a deal here. Um, His legacy is secured, too. This is not a guy who is yeah, he necessarily have to has do to go cup chasing. He doesn't have no. to go ring chasing. Like, he doesn't have to do any of that stuff. Like He's in a very strange legacy. part of his career, though. Very strange. I mean, yeah, I, I, I didn't think he'd be in Chicago, and I, none of us would have ever thought he would have been awful with the way that he did. This guy's a Hall of Famer. This guy's 500 oh, wins. Spell. There's like only like three or four other guys who have won more games than he has. Dude is good. He doesn't have to do this. It's won the just, best of trophy still, last year. He, dude's just playing at a high, high enough level that if a competitive team were to, you know, call about him, come on. Like, we don't want to see that work. Like, I, I, if it's Edmonton, if it's somewhere else, like, why not, man? Like, make it work for yourself. What do you think he does next year? He's an unrestricted free agent this summer. He's not going to stay in Chicago. I mean, no. unless his kids like love it there. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Does he go back I to Vegas on like a one million dollar deal? I think he retires, man. I mean, yeah, I don't know. He's got more I, to I give. Think, I know, but Pittsburgh? like, he doesn't want to keep moving his family around. That's the issue. Like, and that's probably the reason why he retires, which sucks. I because if he I'm didn't not... get traded out of Vegas, yeah, could have made less money. Mm-hmm. Could have kept playing. Maybe could have won a Stanley Cup again. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I could see him retiring. I don't see him like joining some other team and trying to make it work there, and then having to go through all the back and forths and stuff. I just unless you know what's what funny. Price I thought, doesn't play. You know what's very funny? I thought about Montreal for a split second, and then I thought, you know what? Nah, it's not going to happen. And I understand the Canadians, they apparently, uh, according to Pierre LeBron, they want to be aggressive in free agency. Who who knows what that could mean? Uh, does Marc-Andre Fleury want to play for the Canadians if Carey Price? That, that That's a whole other thing, too. They, have to, they would have to figure out the Carey Price matter before they would even entertain the possibility of bringing Marc-Andre Fleury back. So we're kind of getting into like very speculative, hypothetical territory on that one. But like, that would be very fun. I don't like, I remember when he, when he won his 500th game, it was in Montreal and it was well into the Canadians like sucking. That final minute at the Bell Center, that was as loud of a crowd as I've heard all season. They loved seeing or God does she knew achieve this milestone and they saluted him at the end of the game. There were even some Canadians players who stuck around after like they loved seeing Marc-Andre Fleury, a guy who doesn't, didn't even necessarily play that well in the bell center throughout his career, uh, get a milestone victory. So I'm sure if, if a reunion well reunion, if Fleury wanted to join the Canadians and the Canadians were like, yeah, we can accommodate him. Like that would be pretty exciting to see. I don't know if that, ultimately helps with what the Canadians are trying to do, but maybe it does because I think they're trying to do more of an aggressive retool than a rebuild, but there's, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen before we get there. It would be fun though. It would be really fun. Yeah. If this is it for flurry, like if he just decides, you know, I I don't want to go back to Chicago. It doesn't make sense. Vegas. That's just not going to happen. I hope he accepts the deal because I I do want to see one more chapter from, uh, from the flower before, his career is over and we start the countdown five years until he has his hall of fame speech. Um, we're going to play a little game of trade or extend here. It's a long edition of this game. That's never been played before. Um, and basically I'm just, we're just going to throw out a name and we give our opinion on whether or not the, uh, the team that currently employs them should either trade them over the next two weeks or try to do everything in their power to, Maybe not to extend them before the deadline, but extend them this summer and keep the relationship going. So it's kind of like a love is blind thing here, except <laughs> they know each other very, very well. So there's, it's not, it's, I guess it's more of the, the bachelor thing. Anyway, I, I hope, uh, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to take some of these names for 
another segment that I do on another podcast. Uh, just, that's, just, I mean, let's test run this baby. Let's, why not? This is pretty much a test run. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, right. First one, Philip Forsberg. I think he's the big. Uh, I think he's the biggest name in terms of like this category because he's an elite player, still is twenty seven years old, playing for the Nashville Predators last year on a deal that that pays him six million dollars. Nashville's bubble team probably going to get in based on what we're seeing out west, but this isn't a team expected to do anything. So I think it's one of the more intriguing ones. Yeah, Nashville in such a particular position because we all thought they were supposed to tank and and not be a good team last year and they've turned themselves into a pretty good bubble team it doesn't make sense for me if i'm david poyle to let him go and i would extend him is one of their more premier forwards on the team you find other pieces to kind of build around and try to find a way to make go on another run in a couple of years i think you need a guy like philip forsbury unless you are knocked off your socks with some trade that comes around you find a way to keep philip forsberg i'm going to say extend Philip yes, Forsberg. I'm uh, I'm an extend as well. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> what's your future look like if you just give away Philip Forsberg? Like, I, I don't. You might as well just like clean house. If you're yeah, letting what, Philip what are Forsberg you trying go, to accomplish? you might as well just like clear everyone out. Yeah, extend him, give him the money that he wants. Uh, Claude Giroux, different situation at the end of his career, at the end of a brilliant tenure with one of the one of the more important franchises, I'd say, in the NHL, the Philadelphia Flyers, the captain of that team. Getting paid a lot won't get paid as much if he sticks around, uh, but we'll still, you know, you're wearing the C, you're going to pull some money in, and he's still a talented player. So Claude Giroux, trade or extend? That's a really good, really good point to, this, this is tough because, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Flyers, uh, I, they're, they're, they're at that kind of weird ground where they're not so terrible where they're like the worst place team, but they're not good enough to be a contending playoff team. And a guy like Claude Giroux still has no cup. A guy who's approaching a thousand games, I think is the guy who should be able to play for another franchise and, and try to get that ring. I feel like, you know, if you're Chuck Fletcher, you have to sit down with him, get a sense of what he actually wants if he really wants to stay, then you have to kind of present to him the, the you have to basically tell him you can't pay him nearly as much as you can before because you want to find a way to make your team better with other pieces you can bring in. And if he's down, if he's down with that, then you can make it work. But otherwise, I my answer for this one is trade him. You get what you can for Claude Giroux, and you just try to b- build your franchise off of what you're able to get for him. And more importantly, you give a great player from from your franchise, an opportunity to compete for a Stanley cup, probably with the Colorado avalanche, but you know, there are other teams out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm trading as well. Um, I mean, it's hard to trade a guy like that franchise legend. Right. But, and you're kind of signaling that, you know, this is, this is it. And we're trading you and, and one day we'll have you back, but for the rest of your career, it won't be here. And that's difficult to do, but the Philadelphia Flyers have been spinning their tires for too long. Like, they need to freshen things up. They need to change. Like, it's like a coaching change. Like, it's just the message has just been the same for way too long for this team. It hasn't worked. They're long past their prime years with Claude Giroux being, you know, at the peak of his powers and leading a far better team. Uh, so I just feel like it's time for that team to have a new identity. And if you trade him to a team like the Colorado Avalanche, you're doing right by him to the most you know, to the, to the greatest possible or to the greatest degree that you can. Uh, and then you let him decide his future after that and make as much money or choose the opportunity. If it's, if it's, Hey, we want you back in Philly, then, you know, he can maximize his earning potential, I guess, but he can't realistically um, uh, give himself a chance to win. I don't think in Philadelphia in the short term. And that's all we're talking about. You know, that's all that closure has left is the short term. So I'm trading Claude Giroux. Uh, Hampus Lindholm, defenseman with the Anaheim Ducks, been there for a long time. Uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but decade maybe it's been on that blue line with Anaheim. He was there for all the, the you know, the really competitive years in sort of the mid 2015s with Corey Perry and, and Ryan Getzlaff being, uh, you know, at the height of their powers. Um, and I guess he could get a pretty decent return uh, if the Ducks decide to go that route now that they've slipped a little bit in the Pacific Division and the Western Conference standings. 
Yeah, that's why I'm thinking of trading him. I think the Ducks are off to a good start with the way that they were able to go about this year. They clearly have some talent coming up, guys who are already on the team, like a Trevor Zegers, or guys in junior, like a Mason McTavish, at least up front. Jamie Drysdale obviously cannot be discounted in all of this as well. I, I think this team is not necessarily ready to be a playoff team just yet. So I think if you're able to offload a guy like Hampus Lindholm and get what you can get, and kind of help the team be better for the long run. Like I, I think you look into that and, and by the looks of things with Anaheim uh, between him and, and I know there are a few other guys on the, on the list as well. There's at least one other name I'm looking at the list as well. Like there, Pat Verbeek is going to be pretty busy entertaining a lot of offers uh, ahead of the trade deadline. So, you know, I, I think the Anaheim ducks will probably end up offloading Hampus Lindholm. That's at least what I would do. Yeah. I mean, they're showing, they're clearly having, they're not there yet. They're clearly having a, a strong season. There are things, there are foundational pieces being set. Um, but to expect Lindholm to be there when Zegris and Drysdale and all those guys coming up, Mason McTavish, are going to be dominant or potentially dominant as a core nucleus, I think is probably far-fetched. So it's probably best to move him and get some players that can potentially support those guys uh, with the next iteration here of the Ducks. Thomas Hurdle, uh, San Jose Sharks, last year of his deal, reasonably paid. Uh, I think he makes just under $6 million. Uh, really talented guy, very versatile as well. If he is on the block, I feel like he should maybe be the most coveted asset. So are you trading or extending Thomas Hurdle? Man, if I'm the Sharks, I really want to find a way to keep him. But you have to find a way to assure that you've – that you're, you were saying earlier that, like, you know what, maybe you got to find a way to extend guys by the deadline. If I'm if I'm the Sharks, I this really want to. This is the one guy you have to do it for, because if you let him, if you're not able to make a deal work, you cannot afford to let a guy like him go away for nothing and let him test the open market in July or whenever free agent. Yeah, July. Uh, I I think for Thomas Hurdle, you have to find a way to keep him. I would find a way to extend him. I know the Sharks are in a really weird spot. They kind of fell out of the running for the playoffs a little bit. Uh, but I think they're a couple pieces away from at least being a, a good playoff team. And a guy like Thomas Hurdle is a guy I think you should keep around for that. I would try my absolute best to extend him. Yeah, extend him. You got to. You got to try. I mean, he's still uh, he's still young enough. You're not going to. You, you're at a you're at a point where okay, it's going to be a couple more lean years, you think. But then the Brent Burns and Velasics are going to come off the books sooner than later, uh, and. There will be money in the end that opens up. Just don't let it be Thomas Hurdle's money. I think he's worth keeping. Uh, Mark Giordano, the captain. I always laugh when uh, I talk about Mark Giordano being the captain of the Seattle Kraken and maybe lasting four and a half, five months. Um, <laughs> definitely, they should be trading him. They should. This should have been the intention when they signed him or when they selected him from the Calgary Flames is to flip him to a contender because, yeah, he won the Norris Trophy two, three years ago. But he's almost 40. He's not He's not a dominant defenseman anymore. This is a depth guy. You're going to have to retain salary to make it work on whoever he goes to. Uh, but you trade this guy even though you have to rip the captaincy off him to do so. Trade him to Calgary. Yeah. Th- that's that's all I want. Gonna, Calgary might not even have a spot for him, which is I know, I know, but it would be fun to see that happen if they did. Yeah. But you have to trade him. There's there's no other justification for, for keeping him. Trade him. Trade him. Um, couple UFAs in Dallas. Now, Dallas is an interesting team. It's like they're perpetually in this position where they're like the bubble team. Like, they, are, they, yeah. like are, are they the ninth best team or the eighth best team? And what's interesting is I think they're better than that. Like if they, I think they're probably the fifth. They're probably like the sixth or seventh best team in the in the Western Conference. So they should get in, but there's no promise they get in. And they've got Joe Pavelski and Alexander Radulov coming up as UFAs. I doubt they sign either to long-term deals. Uh, these guys are both getting a little long in the tooth. I think Joe Pavelski, despite being older, I believe, uh, has retained his skills a little bit better, or they're more transferable as they age. Um, but I think Joe, Joe Pavelski could actually get you something pretty good. Uh, I would I would consider trading Pavelski if the price was right. Yeah, I think for a guy like Pavelski, even, he's not getting any younger, but he's still a really good player. But it doesn't make sense to sign him to like a lengthy three or four year deal. I think you kind of you, you offload him to a competitive team and you let him get that chance at a chip. That's a guy who 
could go down as one of the better players to have never really won. A guy like Alexander Radulov, uh, he's always going to fight hard. He's always going to compete, even if he gets uh, – I think you're right. He is younger than than Joe Pavelski, That's but he's also right. not a spring chicken. He's, he's not spring chicken. Yeah. Uh, dude, both of those guys, I think you kind of have to offload and, and see what you can get for both. But I think because of what Joe Pavelski's experience entails, his leadership – he might get a little bit more on the market than, than Alexander Radulov. But uh, Radulov is still a good player who can contribute. I think he's more of a secondary guy now, but I think there would be a team who might think uh, his services are needed for the playoffs. So you trade them both. Pavelski, maybe the backup if you don't get Claude Giroux. Maybe yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'd like to see him win a cup. You mentioned it, one of the, one of the best players uh, not one of the best players of this era to not to win a Stanley Cup. That's that's a bit hyperbolic. Um, but a guy that's played a lot of playoff games and hasn't got it done. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, Max Domi. Uh, probably should trade him if they can. I don't know if they'll have that op- opportunity, though. Yeah, I I mean, if you can get what you can get for Max Domi, you do it. This is such a really interesting career for Max Domi. He kind of started off slow. And everyone thought, hey, you know, he's not playing to his potential. Then he has that one really good year at the Canadians and then kind of falls off. And now he's just kind of there. I, I think just start on some other team, he's probably just going to that. This might just be his career for the rest of his life. Just like a middle six winger who uh, can contribute here and there. Maybe do a nice chirp from the bench, but he's not really like a, like a blockbuster name. I think if you're Columbus considering the position that they're in right now, I don't know if keeping him is even necessarily like a, I don't think you go out of your way to keep him If you're Columbus, I think you kind of, you trade him. I would, I would trade him. Max Domi's played 10 career playoff games. Uh, I believe most of those, or at least the, half of those came in the bubble or not, yeah. they all came in the bubble. Half of them in, you know, that five game, qualifying round so he's yeah. only played in one series one real series and if you want to call what happened in the bubble real or not I guess that's a different question but this guy you know he hasn't had that opportunity he's never played for really good teams I wonder if he could give you a spark he's, he gets paid 5.3 million dollars if you cut that in half and all of a sudden it's you know under 3 million can he give you something from that third line I'd like to see him in a spot where he could actually make a difference but it feels like he just He's not good enough to be in that spot, if that makes any sense, which is kind of, you know, that's an indictment, I guess, in itself. Uh, Riley Smith, he's on most trade boards, whatever site you're looking at, um, because I guess Vegas is trying to figure out if they need to spend that salary before, you know, the end of the year. If they're going to stash Mark Stone for the entire year, maybe they can keep him. But if they decide, and they might decide this out of desperation, that we really need Mark Stone back if we're going to get to the playoffs... Uh, that they have to trade something in order to get to that point. And I guess Riley Smith is the hot name that comes up. I don't trade him. I keep Stone on the bench. I trust that my team can get us at least to that eighth seed. And it shouldn't come down to that, if we're being honest. And I no. want Riley Smith, before before we move on, um, to have that one more chance with us. I want the most illegal team possible on the ice for the postseason. And oh that includes God. Riley Smith. Oh my God. Let's not get into legal and illegal ramifications unless someone really presents an enticing offer. I don't really see the need to offload Riley Smith personally. So, uh, it, but also on, do you, it's accept- on Mark Stone. If they do, it's on Mark Stone coming to the general manager's office, knocking on the door and saying, I'm not sitting around anymore, but you got to make a deal before the deadline because I am coming back. But do you, yeah, do you extend him? I mean, I don't know. You, don't ex- I, I would... uh, you might extend him. I don't know. He's made you a lot of money extend. in Vegas. He probably likes it there. I think they'd like to have him, but he can't yeah. make five mil. Got to no. trade Dadanov and give him two and a half. But is he going to go for that? Probably not. So I guess So I guess you have to say extend, but like with a question mark, like extend? Oh, oh, I'm with an own rental. The third option, just an for Riley rental. Smith, own rental. Own rental here yes. for Vegas. Um, one for you and one for you only. I'm going to stay off this one. Arturi Lekkinen. Okay, I have a take. The Canadians should keep him. I think the Canadians should keep Arturi Lekkinen. He's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the year. He is a good secondary scoring. Well, let me take a step back. I'm not going to say he's a good secondary scoring player. He does everything else 
in terms of defending, forechecking, penalty killing, everything the Canadians are going to need anyway. And he can chip in offensively from time to time. The frustrating thing for years was the fact that he would always find a way to generate these scoring chances, but just for whatever reason was never able to fully capitalize on them. If you look, if you look at him throughout an entire season, you see all the chances he gets. You're just wondering like, what the hell is keeping him from being a 20 goal player? I don't know if he'll ever be that, but he at least fills a role and a need on this team. And the Canadians have shown under Martin St. Louis, who knows how it'll look next year. But he has at least shown uh, throughout this season, I think even before St. Louis showed up, he's a useful player for this organization. June 24th in this province uh, will never be the same, not just because of the fact that it's a national holiday for, for Quebecers, but that dude has a place in Canadians history forever. Arturi Lekkinen scoring the uh, clinching goal. Uh, that sends the Canadians to the Stanley Cup final. There, I think there would be people who would be legitimately sad at this point if Arturi Lekkonen left. I'm not sure unless, whether it's the Rangers or somebody else, is saying, all right, Vitaly Kravtsov, uh, Nils Lundqvist, and, and all these other pieces, you go off for, for Arturi Lekkonen and Ben Sherrod if that fake trade that went around the other day is actually going to come to fruition. Probably not. But I, sense, I, <laughs> it might make sense, it might not. But otherwise... I don't, if I'm the Canadians and Kent Hughes, the way it's looking, I wrote a whole article this week about how the Canadians are probably looking at what the Sabres and the Senators did with their rebuilds and probably are thinking, you know, we do not want to be the situation where, where we're rebuilding for four, five, six years. And they're going to try to just kind of retool everything in the off season and maybe not necessarily, you know, build a team that's going to win the Stanley cup next year, but build a team that could be a little better going forward while still, getting necessary pieces around them. I don't see the need of offloading Arturi Lekkonen at this point. He's not going to be particularly expensive on that RFA deal when they eventually negotiate with him either. So this is a bit of a take. I keep him at this point. I think he could be one of the more useful guys that's out there. Uh, as uh, These have been most, I think they've been all unrestricted to this point. I do have some restricted free agents in there and uh, Lekkonen being one of them. Um, I think he'd be a I think he'd be a huge ad, honestly, for someone. I think he could be a part of a bigger deal. I think the Rangers do make sense, obviously Gorton, but obviously also the needs on both teams. Uh, it'll be interesting. I, I definitely think uh, he is both worth keeping, but he's worth exploring the trade market just because I Absolutely. think someone would be there to to, to pay up a decent amount, uh, whether it's just him or part of a bigger package. Ricard Raquel, he might have been the guy that you were referencing earlier. Yeah, probably an obvious trade, right? I I don't know if he's going to be the most sought after asset, but probably probably move probably move on for him. Just just given where the Anaheim Ducks are at and uh, what he might be looking for in free agency. We are both in agreement there. I think uh, he had some pretty good years in Anaheim. You let him uh, go to a contending team, let him chase a chip, uh, and yeah, I I I think it makes sense. I think of all the pieces that are available to be traded for the Anaheim Ducks ahead of the deadline. That's a guy I think you absolutely have to kind of move on from. So I would trade him. Brock Besser is one of those restricted free agents. Uh, Vancouver obviously doing some very hard evaluations right now, of what they have and what they think they need. Um, and the thing with Brock Besser is that he's owed a pretty significant qualifying offer. So it's not like you're, tiptoeing around this asset is pretty important the decision they have to make and maybe they make it before the deadline i think he could be a huge boost to a team that needs something minnesota he's a minnesota guy minnesota wild clearly needs some scoring um and if they're able to retain like ugh, i feel like brock besser could be that guy that really gives a shot in the arm to someone but can or should that deal happen within the next two weeks when you really have to sit back, evaluate, figure out what exactly all parties want? Maybe not. So I'll say this is this is not an own rental. This isn't extend. This isn't trade. This is uh, put a cap in it for now, I guess. But man, I, if I'm the Vancouver Canucks, I, I I try to find a way to keep this guy on this team. I, maybe maybe I, I believe in the Vancouver Canucks core a little bit too much. I think Sam would be a little bit inquisitive at why I would believe in the Canucks at all, but yeah. I, I still think he's a core part of this team and I would still find a way to extend. And I still think he's a, a quality scorer on the team. If they get other pieces around them, they could be a playoff team with what they have. I know Jim Benning didn't do the greatest decisions with the franchise, but I think JT Miller 
Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, like those five guys on a team, like if we looked at them on paper and we've seen some of those games that they've played, that's supposed to be a really good core. That's supposed to be a pretty decent core at the very least of players to have on a team. Just for whatever reason, just hasn't worked as, as well as some people would like. And I think Besser's a part of that core. It's just he is owed a lot of money. They're gonna have to figure they're gonna have to figure something out with that. But I would extend him. God, that was a bad deal. Just walking him into a position to command dollars that he hasn't really earned. Anyway, uh, Winnipeg Jets. There's two UFAs that are particularly interesting. One being Paul Stasty that I don't know if there's much of a market for. But Andrew Kopp would be a nice ad. And I don't really know what the Winnipeg Jets plans are. But I kind of consider them Philadelphia West or Philadelphia Midwest. Um, because... It just seems like they need to turn things over. It seems like mm. it's run its course. It seems like when you got a guy like Paul Maurice just getting up and leaving, that there is something fundamentally broken with the core group. Not even the core group, just sort of the existing structure, right? Like just what is sort of semi-permanent there isn't working. And I wonder if they try their best to sort of go through a bit of a teardown and, and reset to a certain degree. You know, they got a lot of guys locked into contracts, so there's only so much you can do. But Andrew Cobb would be a nice add. And if they're sort of they don't really wanna pay up too much when they already have so many pieces locked up long term, maybe they'll look to move them. Uh but I, I would say if you can't if you can't get something really good, you probably look to extend him, Paul Stasty. It's time to move on. Yeah, I think Stasty, you have to find a way to move on, but I you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think Andrew Kopp might be the more enticing piece of the two. Oh, yeah. oh, Andrew Kopp's a guy who just you could just kind of plug in on your third line if you're a contending team. Uh, yeah, you, I think you find a way to move on from both. But I'm wondering, too, if if you move on from both of those players, if that starts more conversations about tearing down the team and a guy like Mark Shifley, does he get offloaded in the offseason? What, yeah. what happens with a Blake Wheeler? Uh, and at that point, if you're just left with Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connor, like, are, are you keeping them around to add other pieces to to make them better like you kind of have to consider the future of of that team which this is this is one of the uh, more they're not in a very good spot no they're not like i know i brought up the vancouver canucks in their core and that's a team that i look at and i'm like man this team should be better i feel the same about the winnipeg jets just with the players that they were able to assemble together and the goaltending as well that's a team i know connor hellebuck not looking as good as he once was but that's a team that should have had more lengthy playoff runs in them and they just were not able to capitalize on whatever window was there for them so yeah i i think you got to move on from those two pieces and if you start doing that you start if you're if you're uh kevin jettle day off and you're the jets you got to start asking some questions about that core and figuring out what you're doing for the foreseeable future and it might mean moving on from Mark Scheifele and other pieces. What about Yesberry Kotkaniemi? Little rumor this week that uh, Carolina will be looking to move on from him in the offseason. Do they try to do it now or they just, you know, hold on to that $6 million player that's far from a $6 million player and just go with what they have because what they have is really good. Uh, this is obviously, uh, you know, it's coming back to bite them a little bit here but it doesn't really matter because he can just kind of play his role despite being overpaid. So I, I don't think there'll be a rush to trade him, but if someone's interested and someone wants to take on what has kind of become a problem, even though he's just like a decent young player that shouldn't be in this position, Carolina put him in that position. Um, yeah. It's probably worth hanging on to for now. Yeah. I, I, I see him getting extended. Uh, I, from what I remember, like the qualifying offer you can get, I think could be negotiated down to like 5.1 mil. If I remember from all the madness of the offer sheet stuff. And I, I think both sides, I, was, I forget where I was reading earlier this week, but I get the sense that between the team and, and Kakanyemi, I think both sides realize that Kakanyemi is very much overpaid and, and while at the same time could also serve uh, a good role on this team. And again, for a guy like Kakanyemi, who, you know what, his ceiling is probably a middle lineup center, play on the third line, a guy playing in a market that does not have the pressures of what Montreal brings and probably doesn't have to worry about him being benched like what happened to him with Dominic Ducharme while playing, funny enough, with uh, another former NHL veteran who seems to be a good players coach and Rod Brindamore. 
he seems to be, even though the stats are not there, I'm pretty sure if you asked him, he's in a much better situation in Carolina compared to what he was with in Montreal. And if it means he has to sacrifice a couple million dollars to keep that situation compared to what other teams might try to offer him in the offseason, I think he'd want to find a way to keep that. So I think the Canes would extend him, and I think they will do that, and I think I would do the same. And I think if there's a way to ensure that whatever money you're you're bringing down is uh, it can actually happen, you do it. So I, I keep Yasperi Kakinian at a much cheaper rate than he's at right now. There were reports, uh, I guess, inaccurate reports, also about Kotkaniemi's countryman, Patrick Laine, who's in the final season of his deal with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, highly unlikely that a trade comes over the next two weeks. I don't think Columbus is interested in that. The extension is is the priority, you'd have to believe. But again, there has been some trepidation around Patrick Laine, how much you want to spend on a guy who's pushed his price tag up to a really high level and is sort of in and out in terms of effectiveness. He's been very, very good at times this year, like exactly what he was advertised as, uh, one of the best scores, goal scorers in the entire league, and he's shown that at times this season. Um, but the book's still out. The jury's still out. Still don't know exactly what this player is. Pretty sure Columbus, with no real financial commitments uh, beyond Zach Wierenski, are going to keep him. Uh but I wonder what happens with this story. I'm sure you agree that he should be extended, right? Well, here's my thinking about it. This all really comes, I mean, I get it, you know, or it really should always come down to the player in some instances, but I think it really comes down to what Patrick Laine wants. I would be really surprised if he wanted to stay in Columbus. Hmm. I think with his skill set, and you, you mentioned it, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, one of the better goal scorers in the league. His shot is insane. If I'm Patrick Line, man, I want to play on a competitive team. I want to play on a good team. The Columbus Blue Jackets are not ready to compete for the playoffs year in, year out. Uh, put him on a team that's going to be good. If I'm Patrick Line, I'm doing everything I can to put myself in a situation where I can be on a better team. So if I'm Columbus, I want to find a way to keep this player. I don't know if they're going to find a way to... If I'm Patrick Line, though, I'm trying to find a way out of Columbus. So the answer is extend, but man, if Patrick Line really wants to commit to Columbus, I'd be just personally for me, considering what the core is like right now, considering what other teams are like in their division, I'd be very surprised. Could be a trade, but a trade at a later date, right? Uh, you don't exactly. have to trade him over the next two weeks. You don't have to sign him in the offseason. You could trade him at any point because he's a pending restricted free agent. Uh, so he will be one of the big storylines, I think, in the offseason, especially if he doesn't want to play in Columbus. Three more quick ones. Vladislav Nemesnikov, uh, a depth forward. Well, I guess projects as a depth forward. He's played a decently sized role with the Detroit Red Wings. Makes only $2 million a UFA at the end of the year. Uh, I'm sure he would like to go somewhere and try to make a name for himself to try and get a bigger contract in the offseason. But I actually think he could sneakily be like a really good ad. He makes only $2 million. He's very versatile. Uh, and he's on a team that should be looking to trade anything that is considered, uh, you know, an expiring asset. Um, so I, I feel like Nemestikov is a clear trade and a guy we don't hear talked about enough. No, and, and I think because of the fact that uh, it's just seeing the excitement about, like, man, he could be a good ad. Maybe other teams take the same way. And considering what how teams are strapped for, for cap room, uh, $2 million is not a bad deal at all to try to accommodate. He might end up being uh, like a plan B or a plan C for different teams. And if one big domino falls – that could result in a really good trade market for this player. So I've, if I'm Steve Eiserman, I'm, I'm definitely offloading him. So I'm definitely trading uh, Nemestikov. Anton Forsberg has been really good at times here for the Ottawa Senators. He's outplayed Matt Murray, I guess, on balance, but Matt Murray's been good lately. Um, but this is a guy who might be that quick fix for a team like the Edmonton Oilers, or at least an attempt, because he makes under a million dollars. He's a UFA at the end of the year. I feel like Anton Forsberg has to go, even though if you're Ottawa, you're like, we're giving up, we're giving up a guy who's played well for us in net when that's a clear issue. Uh, but we, we talked about it. Ottawa's not there yet. If you can get something for a desperate team, Edmonton, you got to do it. No. If you're Kyle Dubas, do you call on Anton Forsberg? Maybe I might. But, yeah. I think I would at this point, you I need to do everything you can to ensure this playoff. This team is a, is a good playoff. Melnick team. would love that. Oh man, I, I'm desperate. If I'm Kyle Dubas, Dubas, I'm desperate at this point. Screw it. I'll do it. Uh, whatever. We'll find a way to make that work. 
Anton Forsberg is definitely a guy who will get moved. And the last one, Ben Sherrod. I mean, obviously he should go, right? But he's playing so well under Marty St. Louis. Any chance that they extend him? Uh, I think they're going to move him. And I think some of those guys on the Canadians kind of know that it's going to happen. Uh, just hearing Nick Suzuki talk about him a couple nights ago. Like, I think I think everyone's kind of ready for, for when Ben Sherrod gets moved. Uh, also, not to mention, if he gets moved, you can accommodate a, a, a prospect like Jordan Harris coming into the system and keep him from going into the free agent market. I think a guy like Ben Sherrod, he's done what he's done for the team, helped contribute to that playoff run. Some team out there, I think, is going to shell out a pretty decent haul for him. And I don't think you can ignore that if you're Kent Hughes, as well as he's been playing over the last few games. Good defenseman. We brought that up on the podcast today. Good defenseman. Uh, Just I know the price tag scares off a lot of people, but you make the move, especially if someone is willing to match that price of a first and a prospect and I think a third or whatever the David Savard trade was. Spoken like a true hockey journalist, it's time to move on from the story we've been talking about for months and months and months, and that's what the Ben Sherratt story has been. Let's move to the tire pumps. It's where we bestow praise on something or someone in the hockey world or even beyond the hockey world. Uh, I'm going to start with a rare story out of Arizona involving the Coyotes, a rare positive story. Nick Schmaltz, forward with the Arizona Coyotes, not having a particularly strong year or a particularly strong career, kind of going through the motions, was a part of those Chicago Blackhawks teams in the mid-2010s, I guess it is. Is correct? No. Yeah, mid-2010s. But ended up being one of the casualties as they tried to put together rosters um, that were going to compete for a Stanley Cup. So he went to Arizona. It's kind of been cruising there. But he went off on Saturday against the Ottawa Senators. He had seven points in a game it was the it was a two goal five assist performance it was the first seven point game in the nhl in 10 years and the best game in terms of total production since sam gagne scored eight points years ago that's when i was at the peak of my oilers fandom i was very happy about that that (laughs) even though they were showing signs of not being the team that everyone thought they could be with ryan nugent hopkins and taylor hall that early and it was so long ago uh, but quite the performance for Schmaltz. I believe he had, I think he had 26 points coming in. So seven points. That was like 25% of his total production on the year in one game. Uh, now up to 33 points. So good for him having a night to remember. I'm sure he took a photo with seven pucks in his hands. Can you fit seven pucks in your hand? <laughs> yeah, Probably, you go like four right? in four, one hand. Four and like, three? Yeah, four and three. Uh, I was listening to like 32 thoughts earlier this week. And apparently like, was it like Marner who scored four and people were, I think Merrick was speculating if the pucks he had in his hand were at the actual game pucks or if they yeah, gave him some other ones. They don't like apparently. just a random first goal from a player like Marner doesn't get, actually it might be possible because I think there are some teams that actually take every puck and try to sell them. Like this is the puck that Nick Letty scored on, February 13th, like, and you can sell it for 10 bucks or something. Uh, I think you might be able to do that, but if something comes up, maybe you can get those pucks. So they might be, but I wanted yeah. the same thing. I think the way they, from what I remember, I think they were saying that like those pucks that, that at least they're taking the photos with are legit. Maybe they sell them after the fact. I don't know, but like, I think they, they definitely go out of their way to like ensure that the, the pucks that they get are, are legit. And apparently like Jeff Merrick and, and Elliot Freeman, they were getting like messages, messages from all sides of people say like, no, these bucks are legit or they find a way to, to, to make it work. So yeah, you know, uh, I'm sure Nick Schmaltz would do the four and three thing. I think there's a way for him to do that. Um, so tire pumps, I have a bunch actually, uh, I'm going to give two of them to two players, uh, throughout the, uh, list of games we were talking about earlier who broke lengthy goal droughts. Uh, John Tavares scored for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, break. Look at how many games Yes, he dude 15 was games, just 15 games. Oh, good lord. 15 games for this guy. Uh, it, look, I was on uh, breakfast television with Sid Sixero on the Friday, and he was asking me about John Tavares. Uh, and I've had conversations with other Leafs fans about John Tavares. And I understand, dude makes $11 million, and it's not really good for him to be going on such a long goal drought. Dude is still close to being a point of game player with all the stats he's able to put mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. It could be a lot worse. And could you? And I, I've said made the point too. If the dude was on the Montreal Canadiens right now, people in Montreal would kill for a player like this man. Are you kidding me? Uh, speaking of the Montreal Canadiens, take the meeting, Brent, though, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love no, we that. Don't hear, we don't hear that joke as much with John Tavares struggling, but uh, 
and the and the Montreal Canadiens go to the Stanley Cup final last year. Speaking of the Canadians, Brendan Gallagher scored his first goal since like November. There was a guy mm, who was going through injuries, ugh. like was in COVID protocol, and then came back. Uh, I think just a little around the break that they had, and still went about eleven or twelve games without a goal. He scores against the Edmonton Oilers, and Nick Suzuki literally, well, literally, uh, mm. takes the monkey off of his back as he gets to the bench. Uh, so two players uh, doing uh, very well uh, on Saturday night, uh, getting rid of these goal droughts. And the third person I'll acknowledge is a colleague of mine, Arpin Basu from The Athletic, who uh, uh, is going through a very tough time right now. Uh, his father uh, passed away on mm-hmm. Saturday. Uh, I th- he'll be taking a bit of a leave um, from the Canadians beat. And he is just a really special person. He's somebody who has helped me a lot uh, as I've been at the athletic as long as I have. And it's just really sad to see him at this position. And uh, I just want to just wish my condolences to him and wish nothing but the best for him and his, and his family as they try to grieve through everything going on. One of the most respected journalists in the hockey beat. And I think it was great to see a lot of uh, support for him online. And I'm sure he appreciated everything. So I will give him uh, some love as well with the tire pump. And uh, yeah, just sad, obviously. Uh, But, you know, just, yeah, it's, I had to show him some love there. A good shout out and the best to the Basu family as they go through, uh, you know, obviously a difficult time. Um, We'll wrap it there, Julian. We're going to be back at some point next week. Still undecided. We may have to defer to Monday because we got the Heritage Classic, or I have the Heritage Classic, between Buffalo and Toronto in Hamilton, Tim Hortons Field, next weekend. So we got to figure out exactly what our scheduling is going to be. But you and I will probably be talk before then on Zone Time. Uh, hopefully we get some tra- something to something to dig into before then. But uh, it'll be entertaining nonetheless because we've got such a great cast on that show. Uh, and you'll be doing some uh, you'll be doing some work, obviously, for the Montreal Canadiens this week, and maybe there'll be something for you to dig in as they uh, prepare to do what they are going to do before the deadline. So maybe in a perfect world, a Montreal Canadiens trade to break down Tuesday on Zone Time or next week on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Until then, Julian, appreciate you coming on, and we'll chat soon. Peace. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 